Hi everyone. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this episode, The Flood is Not a Children's Story, uh, episode three. Um, I feel pretty passionate about um, these things. And by that, I mean, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, but feel free to take it or leave it. I, um, you know, because I have big feelings about this sort of topic, you know, this faith related topic, um, you know, I just want to stress that I hope it feels presented in a way that might help parents, especially navigate difficult Bible stories with their kids, because that's definitely something that Phil and I have worked through, you know, over the last, you know, span of years with our own kids. And, um, and it's actually something I just really love to talk with other parents about. Um, but before I get started, I have an announcement. It's my first podcast announcement. So I feel like I've leveled up in the podcasting world. Um, I'm going to host a book club with the girls who podcast Kayla and Neve, um, April 8th. So, uh, the book that they've selected is Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Uh, amazing, fabulous book. I think it's spent like 82 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. So, um, it's just a ridiculous book that I think every older teen, you know, young, young woman, old woman, <laughs> all of us should read this book. Um, so, it's fantastic. And that's the book they selected. We're going to meet in person April 8th. Um, I'll let, and the girls will let um, people know later where we're meeting. Um, but we're meeting in person April 8th to talk about the book. So you got to have the whole thing read. You have plenty of time. It's super easy reading because it's so good. Um, you have plenty of time to read it before then. And then uh, for those of you who would love to maybe be a part of the book club, but don't live close by. Uh, we're also going to do a virtual book club on April 9th. So you can join us that way too. We're going to post links uh, on our Instagrams so that you can sign up. So we kind of have an idea of how many people would like to be a part of it. So um, you can check at the girls who podcast on Instagram and then at uh, that 40s decade because that's kind of where I post these Sondercast episodes and just fun things that I'm learning and thinking about. That's kind of like my new fun Instagram. So that, and then the number 40, the letter S decade. Um, so yeah, I think that's going to be super exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. Everyone should be involved in a book club, like at all times. Um, they're one of my favorite things to do. I'm currently actually in a book club right now and we like make dinner together and then eat and talk about the book. So, um, and I've been involved in virtual ones and, you know, in-person ones we've hosted. Neve used to host, uh, her own book club for, um, like teen girls. And I think they're just one of the best things to just sit around and talk like real life and learn from each other and the author and the book. And so, yeah. Um, that's my announcement. So I'm super excited and um, super happy to be hosting it with the Girls Who Podcast. Um, okay, so let's get started on this The Flood is Not a Children's Story episode. 
Okay, so when I go back to when I was a child and think of my view of God and how that kind of developed as I grew into adolescence, I see a lot of ties between that understanding of who God is and the anxiety I felt throughout my childhood. Um, And I don't think back like in the 80s, we were as aware of mental health and in particular childhood mental health as we are now. So like I was never diagnosed with anxiety, although I'm positive I have an anxiety disorder. Um, However, like scanning back through my childhood and I should make really clear, like it was a really good childhood, like full of love, of play, of goodness. I felt safe in my family. Um, and just really cared for, but I see red flags pop up over and over where I know that the things I had learned about God played into my psyche in a way that bred anxiety and paranoia. And I think talking about this reality, like the way a literal reading of so many Bible stories, um, like as if they're true science and accurate history, it can shed some light on the danger of what is really like a surface level exegesis. And um, what we teach our children about God, uh, especially housed in what seem like innocent Sunday school stories, this can root such a deep anxiety that may haunt a person for an entire lifetime if it's not dismantled with a deeper understanding of the biblical accounts. So let's dig into the episode first by defining a term that's called religious trauma syndrome. And it's recognized in psychology and psychotherapy as something experienced by people who grew up in or spent a lot of time in controlling authoritarian, um, dogmatic religious environments. And in these environments, two ideas are really um, stressed to those people, whether it's intentionally or not. Um, But The two ideas are, number one, you are not okay. And number two, you are not safe. Um, And these ideas are ingrained into a person using theology, like, for example, original sin or eternal damnation, the existence of hell, um, unredeemable souls, you know, like different theological concepts we learn in you know, these dogmatic environments that whether we realize it or not, often as children, we absorb information about God and ourselves that is not true and puts us in a place of being fearful of God or um, seeing him as violent or uh, like you know, just these problematic things, even about ourselves. And so if you had asked me as a child, like Krista, do you trust God? I would have absolutely said yes. But, you know, that didn't really play out necessarily in my spirituality. Like, I think I see things, you know, I thought and prayed as a child that really point to the fact that I was terrified of God because of things I had learned about him. So I learned about God in mostly in school and church. Um, And in those spaces, I learned a lot of really good things about God. And I really um, studied the Bible and understood and learned, you know, so many things in it. Um, And I loved, like looking back, I love that I 
grew up really conservative and then later learned to kind of um, leave some of that behind. Like, I I think that's a good setup. Like, Richard War says, like, a, uh, like a conservative fundamentalist, like, kind of upbringing is, is good because it actually gives a kid boxes and, like, edges to their faith and a good sense of right and wrong. And then they can go explore and kind of blow past those boundaries. Um, so I... I really like that, but I think sometimes in conservative Christianity, um, what seem like innocent stories that are presented in Sunday school, church, or school, um, when there's a demand or expectation that those stories are just automatically taken literal, and there's no, you know, story behind the story, there's no exploring the context or anything else about that, that Bible story. Um, that's where I think the trauma can happen because we can learn things about God that scare us as children. And maybe you wouldn't put it into those words as a child, but, um, you know, it's, you know, the triggers and the, and the symptoms, you know, show up in other ways. So I have a good story that, um, illustrates this and it's about Neve, Philly and I, and I asked Neve if I could tell it because, um, I, I have to preface it with the fact that she, I did get permission from her, but I, um, you know, I preface it with the fact that when she was 11 or 12, she was in counseling for anxiety, like terrible anxiety. Um, and Phil and I had been trying to help her through it. And we got to the point where I don't think we could be any more helpful than we, like, than we already were. Like I wasn't trained to go, you know, to help her beyond, you know, that point. Um, and I just felt like she needed to go to a counselor or someone to talk to and really be given tools to work through this. So we put her in counseling with a Christian counselor who we love. We still like love this woman. So, um, yeah, she, she was probably six months into this counseling, you know, going every week or every two weeks and talking to this lady about just full blown anxiety disorder, just really, really rough. And we were sitting in church one Sunday and the story of Uzzah, was being preached on. And if you don't know the story of Uzzah, you can find it in um, 2 Samuel and also in 1 Chronicles, I believe. It's the same story both places. But um, King David was moving the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is, you know, Israel's biggest treasure. You know, it's like um, the most sacred religious object that they had. And, you know, there was a rule, like, if you touch it, you die. Um like it was that sacred, like nobody could touch. It was that holy. Um, so King David was moving it with his men. And there's this guy in, you know, that transport crew named Uzzah. And the story says that, uh, an oxen who was moving the cart tripped or something. And it seems like the Ark of the Covenant shifted in a way that would have caused it to be unsteady. And Uzzah reaches out to steady it. Like, the idea of, oh, there's something super important to me and it's, it just fell off the table. Like, you know, you're lunging or diving to keep that thing from hitting the floor, you know? 
And that's very much the setup of the story um, in scripture. So Uzzah studies the object and immediately dies. And it says God killed God's anger, you know, burned against him and he killed him right on the spot next to the Ark of the Covenant. And that story was told, you know, this morning in church, um, you know, Nia's like younger than she is now, obviously. Um, and she's in therapy for anxiety. And the basic overall message that morning was that um, God demands that we respect him. And there's places in the Bible where people didn't respect him. And because of that, he killed them. Um, and that was, that's the message that morning in church. Um, like take God seriously. And I guess the way I would describe how I felt in that moment was just absolute fury (laughs) as a mom. I was so angry, um, because I'm thinking in the moment, like my children and especially the one who's dealing with anxiety right now, they're learning that, you know, in a moment of, um, here's this Uzzah guy and this really important object shifts and his first inclination, just like anybody other, you know, any other human in the world would be like, Oh, let me, let me catch it before it falls. Um, that gets him killed. Um, and that's a really ugly God. That's a super scary, violent, mean God. Um, so there was communion after that service. I didn't stay for it because I was so angry. Um, and so upset (laughs) for my kids. And then, um, so we just drove to like Regal Cinema and ate popcorn and we watched a movie about mother Teresa that was out, out at the time, because I think I just wanted to make God beautiful again to my kids before the end of that day. And I figured mother Teresa, you know, does that better probably than anyone. So, um, our communion that day was popcorn and mother Teresa, but, um, I, I think that, um, it was important for me to take the kids, you know, aside later and, you know, Neve was like, that was scary. <laughs> and, um, we talked about the story, like we talked about the fact that it was a reached out and studied a sacred, ob- sacred object that was about to fall. Um, and it's a, it's a reaction. Um, you know, the preacher that morning said something in his heart wasn't right in that moment. You know, he was prideful or arrogant. I don't know how you find the time to muster arrogance in such a quick interaction. You know, something's about to fall. Oh, let me study it. I'm not sure how you get the opportunity to get arrogant in that moment. Um, so for me, the way I see the story is, um, yeah, this guy probably reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant when it was about to fall and he died. You know, maybe it was, a was unhealthy and had clogged arteries. And, you know, as he watched the Ark of the Covenant, almost fall into the ground. He had a heart attack. Maybe he was not feeling well already this morning, that morning and he died. Um, and because it's an ancient story, you know, I told my kids, it's important to realize that ancient people, uh, their understanding of God 
um, was different than ours. You know, um, this was thousands of years ago, uh, and we've probably learned a lot about God since then. And back then, ancient people attributed lots of things to the gods. And, he, you know, the Hebrews did the same, like that was the way things were done back then, that God, you know, was really not responsible for um, in the way that they're making him responsible for this. Like, um, you know, if your farmland had a great season and had lots of rain, the gods were happy with you. If, if there was a drought, the gods were angry. Um, and it's, and that kind of view comes into the Bible in a lot of places. And I think here's one where this guy dies. And of course he died because God killed him. You know, like the rule is we're not supposed to touch it. Um, and so it's a very primitive view of the way God works. Um, and I think it's good that those things are in the Bible um, because it's an invitation to see God through other people's eyes and see how our faith, like the Christian faith, has developed through the years. Um, and I like that the Bible's a little messy like that um, and keeps these, you know, the, there's these pieces in it that we really have to think critically through. Um, we can't just go to the Bible, open it up and teach our kids. Like, there you go. Uzzah died because he was arrogant when he fixed the, when he pushed the ark back onto the cart. Um, like it's gotta be more thoughtful than that. And, um, and so I like talking to the kids about ancient people and the way they saw God. And that the fact that sometimes these stories were told so that you know, they could stress how powerful their God was in relation to the, all the other gods around them, you know, all the other, um, pagan gods of the other, you know, uh, nations that surrounded them. So, um, you know, to be able to say, well, our God, you know, he can kill you on the spot. Um, basically that's a very forceful message in a very, um, tribal historical moment. So, um, yeah, I think the context of the Uza story, um, the kids were able to be like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, like th that's a better version. Like that's a better understanding of what's going on um, than just to open your Bible, read through the passage and then stress to people. Um, this is how much it matters to God that you respect him. He's, he's willing to kill for it. Um, and it's ter a terrible message um, to just throw into a crowd and um, and have received by children or by people who are already dealing with anxieties. So the Uzzah story is a good example of a moment where I saw the opportunity for religious trauma to take root in my own children. Um, but what I'd like to mostly focus on in this episode is the flood story because it's such like a quintessential Christian children's story. And I think it's, it's a really good example of something that seems super innocent and yet can lodge its, like the, un the underbelly of itself, like the, the ugly parts can kind of lodge in a child's brain um, in a way that could really breed anxiety in their life. And 
um, this, the story always bothered me as a child. <laughs> and then as an adult, it like, like I understood why it bothered me more. Um, but I was never presented the flood story by a teacher, um, with any other option, except this is a literal story. And so in child's mind, that means like, this is just the way God did things. This is the way they played out. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a good example of, you know, of what can cause religious trauma at a very young age. So, um, when I was younger, I think, I think this is a, I think this is probably the most vivid example that I can show that I, you know, these thoughts about God that I gleaned from these Bible stories, um, it gave me for sure, um, anxiety about God and the human condition. <laughs> I'll put it that way. So, um, when I was much younger, you know, a, a child all the way through my teenage years, um, I prayed the same prayer every night. Like, and I hated the prayer. Like I, I didn't, I want, like, I would look forward to bedtime except for the fact that I had to pray <laughs> and cause the prayer took me freaking forever. Um, but what I would pray is that, you know, my family was so important to me and still is, but you know, I was the oldest of four kids. Um, and I, I loved my brothers and my brother and sisters and my parents, and I just wanted them to be safe. But somewhere along the way, uh, maybe in a story like the flood, I learned that I couldn't trust God um, not to kind of lurk behind the shadows and to swoop in and ruin my life by taking someone that meant the world to me. So I would pray every night for each person. And I would think of every disease that I could think of that could kill them. <laughs> and I would name them for every disease. I would go through all six of us, myself last, and be like, please don't let us ever get this disease. Please don't let mom and dad and Beck and Jen and Jeremiah ever get this disease. Like, And just name as much as I could to cover myself from this like violent, scary God. Like if I just covered myself enough, you know, if I named everything, if I prayed for everything, there wouldn't be an excuse for him to do anything mean. Um, and then I would go on to like physical harm. So please don't let them die in an accident. Um, you know, pl please don't let them get shot. Please, please don't let them drown. Like <laughs> every, like this, you know, if this doesn't spell out terrible anxiety disorder in a child, like I don't know what does. Um, but like, I, this prayer went on for like 25, 30 minutes. Like I, I, I hoped I wouldn't fall asleep during the prayer. Um, but I would pray these same things every night. And then probably the ugliest part of it all is that at the end, I would just pray like, um, just kill me before you kill them, <laughs> which is really ugly, um, to be praying as like a 12 year old. Um, but just, if you're going to kill them, kill me first. So I don't have to be there for it. Um, and I think though those prayers illustrate, um, a deep, 
distrust of a violent, um, reckless God that I had learned about in what seemed like sweet, innocent Sunday school stories. So, um, you know, when I think about the flood story, there are good things. I learned about it, you know, things that I still think, you know, are beautiful from the Bible account, um, stories on like obedience and faithfulness and, um, God's promises to us. Um, so for sure, there were beautiful things I was learning in these stories. Um, but as an adult, when I really looked at like, why does this, why is this story always sat weird with me? Um, there's a lot of problems with it. So <clears throat> one of the big ones that jumps out is that taken literally um, and presented with no other option to a child, God looks like a really wasteful, uncaring God towards creation. Um, you know, the flood in the Bible is basically an extinction event, you know, like um, a meteor killed all the dinosaurs kind of extinction event, except it's everything except for two of all the animals and eight people. So um, it's, you know, it's a mass murder of all the innocent plant and animal life um, because what the Bible says is people had gotten, you know, to the point where they were just all evil. There was wars and, and fighting and disease, and it was just really bad. Um, but everything the Bible lists is like, oh, like that's kind of sounds like the world today. <laughs> um, so, but for some reason at this point, it sounds like everyone turned into a villain. Okay. Except for these eight people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. Um, and in order to just wipe the slate clean, like the Bible says that God regretted having made man, um, and you know, to wipe it clean, all the animals and all the plant life, you know, was taken out by this flood. So five chapters before, um, it's like this beautiful poem, you know, like about creation and how each piece of it was so good. And you can just feel like God's so pleased with it. And then he throws that all away because we ruined, you know, humanity. Um, and it just feels super wasteful. And I think also it can play into the fact that passages like these, um, they kind of bleed into the way I think Christians approach earth care and the environment. Um, because I know as a young adult, like I didn't give a shit about the earth or my footprint or the way I cared for things or the way the earth would look in a hundred years. Like that was never on my radar. I never learned about that in church. And my feeling is, uh, we should be like the first ones in line to lead the environmental marches. <laughs> we should be the first ones, um, learning how to care thoughtfully for creation. Um, and we just don't like Christians don't do a really good job of that. And I think that a story like the flood kind of gives us an excuse, like, and it's not necessarily like we learn it outright. It's kind of like a subliminal thought in it. Um, and then this bigger idea that 
God is just so wasteful and so uncaring towards his own creation and creatures. Um, and that was always just super problematic for me. Um, and then the bigger, you know, issue for, for me has always been the fact that, um, the Bible says that everyone was evil. Um, and I don't know what age people can tip the scales into, you know, I'm more evil than I'm good. <laughs> I don't know what age that happens, but I'm, I know it's not at two or three or four, um, or five. Like I think of all the children that were wiped off the earth in the story. Um, and we never really talk about that. Like I've never heard in Sunday school or, um, you know, in a church lesson, I never heard the part where we mourned because there were innocent two-year-olds who were taken, you know, her lives were taken. Um, and you know, I don't believe that the children could have been all evil. Um, that's just not the way humans work. Um, and then as an adult, I thought, what about all the pregnant women? Um, you know, maybe let's just pretend all the children were like the worst toddlers born ever. Like they were just out of control toddlers. Okay. Um, which still doesn't mean that they deserve death, uh, for goodness sakes, but let's just pretend, you know, terrible twos doesn't, you know, cover it. They were the worst. Um, the, the fetuses though, <laughs> the unborn babies, I don't know. Like I, I pretty sure they weren't evil. And, um, I was wondering how many people, uh, like a literal Bible reader would think were on the earth at Noah's time. Like I was wondering if, is there like a number out there that somebody's, you know, guessed that, you know, this would have been the population during Noah's time if everything was literal. And, um, I found it, uh, in answers in Genesis, there's a website called answers in Genesis. And, um, that website has answers for everything, even the things that you couldn't possibly know. <laughs> um, so, uh, their guesstimate would be 750 million to 4 billion, which is, um, you know, a huge span, a huge number, uh, spectrum, it's, you know, oddly big. Um, but the 4 billion, um, you know, the top estimate there was explained because people lived hundreds of years, you know, at Noah's time. So, uh, yeah, that would be explaining the 4 billion people just never died. So, um, I was thinking like, let's, let's use the lower number and only take a quarter of that. Let's pretend there was 187 million people on the earth at Noah's time. Um, I looked up, you know, what's the percentage of women that are pregnant at any given moment on earth. And that's, that's a hard calculation to make, even just like for a specific geographical area in a specific time period. Um, so just, you know, be able to get, guess it during Noah's time would be real, you know, impossible really. Um, but you know, there's different factors that go into it, like seven or eight different things. Um, you know, geographic location, healthcare, um, you know, 
the death rate of newborns. So all these things go into it. Um, but you know, what percentage of women are about to have babies or pregnant at any time seems like it ranges between 2.3% and 5% of the earth's population. So let's just pretend that it's 1% at Noah's time. Okay. So we're not even at, you know, the, what seems like an average kind of percent here. We'll just go super low and say 1% of the women on earth were pregnant during Noah's time or 1% of the humans on earth were pregnant during Noah's time. And that means that the flood wiped out almost 19 million unborn children. And I've never seen that stat on a pro-life website. Um, I don't really know what to do with that. Uh, that's an ugly story. It's an ugly story. Um, about a God who saved eight people, but every two-year-old died. Um, so if you know a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old, um, think about them and wonder if they would have made it because the answer is no. Okay. Um, at least according to the story. Um, so it's a horrific story, um, that gets read very innocently and kind of like this really fun, epic children's story in Sunday school. Um, and yet to think our children don't think deeply about it is foolish. Um, to think that they don't sit with it and wonder like, what kind of God does that? Um, is short-sighted. <laughs> and, um, I think this is where religious trauma can take deep root in a child is when these stories are just thrown out there as these fun tales. And yet what the children are learning about God, um, is violence and that he's not trustworthy, um, that he is wasteful and that he's scary. So what do we do with a story like the flood? And are we able to hand that to our children and not cause, you know, religious trauma or um, anxiety to take root in, in their hearts? Um, for Phil and I, the way we've done that is just to be able to get to a point where we can be comfortable with the fact that the Bible is incredibly messy and um, it's contradictory. Um, it's imperfect. It's, it's not God. It's not the thing. It's like the thing about the thing. Um, and it's so human in some spots that it's painful. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think what we see in the Bible is an invitation over and over to wrestle with God and wrestle with the things we're learning about him and push us into new ways of seeing him and being able to um, be like him, you know, in the world. And um, even the world word Israel means to wrestle with God. And so I feel pretty comfortable and I, and I think we 
have for a long time and inviting our kids into that messiness because um, what the Bible reflects to me is my own spiritual journey. It is messy. Um, I have doubts. I, I live in tension with certain things. I don't have all the answers. Um, you know, I'm a human, I'm imperfect. And I think that we honor the authors of the Bible and the editors when we can recognize that as their story too. You know, they're figuring things out about God in real time. And we've been given these stories and now it's our job to, um, to really provide context to them when we hand them to our own children. Um, so we've taught, you know, when even feel like we're even younger, we, we told them like, there's a distinct culture that each story arose out of. And in that culture, there was a particular set of beliefs that would probably seem really different than ours. And there was a specific body of knowledge. And we probably know way more now than those people did back then. Um, and history was written in a, in a way that would seem foreign to us. Like we would expect it to be written factually. And that was not the way ancient Near Eastern people wrote history. It was written for a purpose, um, as propaganda, as, you know, to tell a story about their nation, sometimes a big fish story <laughs> about the nation. Um, and this is the way they, they were comfortable and the way they did it. Um, and so handing the story of like the flood to our kids looked like us being honest and saying, Hey, there was, there was a flood story that was, you know, in circulation in that geographical area, um, way before the Hebrews got there. And, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh, um, has these flood elements in it that look similar to Noah's Ark and the flood in the Bible. And maybe, you know, this was a familiar story to the Hebrews and they co-opted it or they rewrote that familiar story, um, expressing these new truths about their own God, this God, this one God that they're discovering. Um, and so in that way, um, it leaves a lot of space in the story, um, so that they understand, oh, this is like an ancient tale. And God didn't really, you know, wipe out every three and four year old, <laughs> you know, this is an ancient story. Um, and, but there it's used to tell certain truths about God, um, or about humanity. And so I think that's a really lovely way to do it. And, um, and I think the pushback will come when people, you know, we, we want the Bible to be easy. Like we want to be able to open it and be like, of course, God would just write out everything the way it, it, it happened. Um, you know, we want it to be literal so that maybe, um, it makes things easy for us. And unfortunately, <laughs> or maybe fortunately, that's not the way it was done. Um, so, um, we are invited to wrestle with this text and, um, these stories and dig deep and, um, you know, we shouldn't expect that, you know, God would just be easily known. He, sh he's, you know, got to be mined, you know, like, um, and our theology should never feel fixed or, you know, remain the same 
you know, be static throughout our lives, like that would probably mean we have some bad theology. Um, because it means at some point we learned all there was to learn about God. And, um, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, our theology should be shifting and fluid and sometimes things do a 180 and sometimes, you know, a belief we hold gets flipped completely on its head. And that's what it looks like to be, you know, to truly learning who God is. Um, he should always be shocking us. Um, and I love the new Testament verse where Jesus says, you'll do greater things than me. Um, for so long, that verse confused me. Um, I didn't know what to do with it. Um, but over the last few years, it's one of my favorite things to think about. It's one of my favorite verses in the new Testament, because I think in it, Jesus is saying like, I've done a lot of, you know, revealing of God while I've been here. Um, but I'm human, you know, like I'm hundred percent human guys. Don't forget that. So I'm like stuck in this 33 year period here in history in the first century, but there's a whole future ahead of us. And you get to keep learning and revealing God and reimagining him, you know, centuries and centuries ahead. You know, there's, there's so much more to be learned and revealed and lived into. And I think that's his invitation in that verse. So when, you know, we're able to model these things for our kids. Like we get to wrestle with the Bible and we get to go look, what was the context of this story? And, um, can we handle this story as myth? You know, is, is that really the way it was intended? Is that the way it was written? Um, and sometimes we just like things to be easy. So, um, you know, most people just take it literally, but we don't have to do that. Like give them the option. Um, I think, then that the flood story can be a children's story. Um, and, and in a really beautiful way. So I guess, um, my encouragement would be for parents and caregivers and guardians and like the people in charge of leading children, teachers, um, to invite them to be curious and curiosity at its best is a person wanting to know more but not being afraid of where that might lead them. And so always believing that we're safe, always believing that we're okay. Um, as we explore our faith, as we um, study the Bible, as we, you know, um, think critically. Um, and in that, I think there's this beautiful freedom that will only allow our faith and our children's faith to grow. So, that's my Bible flood story episode. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I'd love if, you know, people have questions or just thoughts, or even if you want to be like, Oh, I have a completely different take on that. Um, I'm always excited for those conversations. So feel free to message me. Um, if you want to share your thoughts, um, or talk about something, I would love that. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and, um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Be a good human.